faith, confidence or trust in a person or thing. Reason, to think or argue in a logical manner, to form conclusions, judgments or inferences from facts or premises. Culture, the customary beliefs, social forms and material traits of a religious, racial or social group. Faith, reason, culture, with Dr. Melissa Travis and Daryl Youngblood. And welcome to this week's episode of the Faith, Reason, Culture podcast with author, speaker, and professor Dr. Melissa Kane Travis and Daryl Youngblood, founder and president of Rational Defense of Faith Ministries. We are continuing our conversation about the Chosen. Uh, Daryl, once again, is not with us this episode, so it is Melissa and I discussing this this groundbreaking, this phenomenon of a show, the very first uh, multi-season ser- TV series about the life of Jesus, the, uh, the most successful uh, crowdfunded TV show in history. And we spent uh, uh, two episodes ago, we spent that time introducing you guys to the show, our thoughts on it. Uh, Last episode, we spent time talking about episode one, really going deep into episode one. And today, we're going to be jumping into episode two. So, Melissa, uh, introduce us, if you would, to episode two. And what are your what are your initial thoughts about it? It's called Shabbat. There's a big focus on the Sabbath and how it, it correlates to all of these characters' lives. So, if you would, uh, introduce us to your, to your thoughts on episode two. Okay. Episode two, entitled Shabbat, I love it. I, I love every episode of this show, you guys. You're going to get so tired of hearing me say that. But episode two is perhaps a little more low-key than the explosive episode one that we talked about in our previous episode. It starts out, we see a Shabbat meal, a traditional Jewish Sabbath meal happening almost a thousand years prior to the events that we just saw in episode one. So we're told through the on-screen text that we are in 948 BC, and it just goes through this family's Shabbat meal experience and the conversation with the children around the table explaining the significance of everything and going through their liturgy that surrounds the meal. It very, very beautiful to kind of set the stage for the viewer in terms of depicting just how ancient Jewish custom actually is. So we get this sense for the deeply rooted traditions of the Jewish people. And that's that's a very important thing to be aware of moving forward in the series. For sure. It, re- it really is amazing. You're like, wait a minute, you know, we're a thousand years before Christ in, in this kind of opening salvo. But you, you see the, the importance of that because it kind of helps the viewers understand this is a very strong, this is an incredibly important tradition to the Jewish people. This is this is the, the one part of the ceremonial law that happens once a week. I mean, this happens every week from uh, sun up, I'm sorry, sundown to sundown, Friday to Saturday, or they would call, I guess, Saturday the seventh day since, uh, isn't that correct that they 
they don't see days the way we do, that a right. day starts at, like, uh, dusk, yes. right? so Friday at sundown, Sabbath begins, and it ends Saturday at sundown. Right, right, exactly. So very, very different than what we are, very different than what we're used to. So from, from there, I think we're introduced to, um, uh, to Mary, right? Mary is a, a different person. You were talking about this being such a, uh, it is a much more low-key episode, which is kind of nice because episode one was pretty intense. So it's nice to kind of come down from that a little bit and to, and to get some, some dialogue. And we're really, what we're seeing is the, the results. We're seeing the results both with Mary and we're going to see with, with Nicodemus, but it starts off with Mary. She's, she is a different person. And I, and I love, uh, we'll get to the end of what she actually says, which is kind of like become like the the theme of the show, I guess. Right, right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to what the, what that is. So what what's your take on the, the introduction of Mary into episode two? Okay, so after the opening credits, we fast forward to Capernaum in AD 26, and we see Mary, and she's dressed in clean clothing with her head covering, and she looks happy and healthy and just healed. She's been healed. And she's moving among very respectable looking women of the town. And there's this precious scene where she's hanging out in what we would today call a hair salon with these other women. And they invite her to help dress the hair of this bride. And and she she feels so honored and surprised that they would even ask her to do such a thing and it's just this wonderful portrayal of mary being welcomed into the respectable jewish community uh, and her her awful troubled tortured past being behind her finally yeah and she can she can move on into into this new uh, this new life now obviously not fully she is not yet a disciple of jesus she has the demons have been exercised from her and she's far different she's at least free from that but she's not a disciple of jesus yet yeah she doesn't even know his name yeah that's right so we we go from we go from there uh, we're back to matthew and quintus right so we, we're introduced to mary and mary is uh, obviously a different person but then we're introduced to uh, Matthew actually ends up having a conversation with Quintus. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about our reintroduction to Mary before we before we move on to that. No, that's fine. We can go ahead. So uh, Matthew, working in his tax collector booth, uh, he's approached by Simon. In is it Andrew that's yeah, happened? Andrew. Yeah. So Simon and Andrew approach, and they declare to Matthew that their tax bill uh, has been waived that they no longer have to pay what they owe uh, because of an agreement they have with, say his name? With Quintus. Quintus. Yeah. Quintus. Yeah. They have an agreement with Quintus. So Matthew, being the obsessive compulsive personality that he is, he's like, I'm going to go check up on this and see if they're lying. So he actually dares to go see Quintus to try to verify this story that Simon and Andrew no longer have to pay their big hefty tax bill. Yeah, and uh, and Matthew's escort, which is a uh, Gaius, actually played by the great actor uh, Kirk B. R. Waller. I've got I am I've got IMDb up right now, so I've got a bit of a bit of a uh, cheat sheet. But um, his escort is not happy 
that he's going in to confront Quintus and to, to talk to, not to confront him so much as to just simply uh, to verify with Quintus that this was actually going on. Because literally, for, for one, Matthew does not have the same rights that a Roman citizen has. They are, they are not citizens of, of Rome. They're, you can't even call them second-class citizens. They're just non-citizens. Literally, um, uh, Quintus could just have Matthew run through with a sword, and there's no repercussions on Quintus, and it's well within his rights. And Gaius understands this, and, and, and Gaius, uh, you see throughout the, the series that he has a bit of a, a bit of some affection to Matthew on some level. He insults him. He 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 degrades him, but he also kind of likes Matthew uh, in some ways. And so it really kind of set up. You're you're really worried. I mean, you know Matthew's going to survive if you've read the New Testament. You know this isn't the the end of Matthew. This is before Matthew's even introduced in the New Testament. But uh, you're a little you're a little concerned. So now he's going in to basically verify with Quintus. Is this true? Right, right, right. So you definitely see that the fear that Gaius has, he, you know, falls to his knees at one point cowering because he thinks he's going to be beheaded on the spot. <laughs> well, yeah, not, it's not just Matthew's neck. You're right. Gaius was worried about his own neck as well. Yeah, and that's why yeah. he was wanting to, he was wanting to wait outside because he's worried about, you know, he didn't want, he said he didn't want to carry Matthew's dead corpse out. But after Matthew goes in and says what he says, and what does he say that, that really, do you remember what he says that really put um, Gaius on edge and made Gaius fearful. Oh, I don't remember what. Was okay, it? I think I think he essentially said that. Oh, you made you a bad made a bad deal. deal. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quintus says, "Are you telling me I made a bad deal?" And Matthew just goes, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> so you see, this guy is not thinking. I mean, he thinks he's obviously he's very smart. Like we talked about in previous episode, he's 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 portrayed his characters are portrayed as highly highly intelligent, maybe a bit on the spectrum like Asperger is a really high functioning autistic, but he's just not he doesn't have the same worries and concerns that a normal person does. And at that point, Gaius, I think that it's at that point that Gaius is on the floor. He's like, we're dead. And actually, you see. Uh, you see Quintus's guard that's there with him. He takes out his sword, and he's about to go run Matthew through, and Quintus stops him. Right. right. Matthew totally doesn't read the social cues at all. At all. Yeah, yeah he's completely oblivious. He's just like, this is the truth, and I'm going to say the truth, and wouldn't anybody and everybody just want to hear the truth? Because yeah. this is what it is, because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. Quintus I think Quintus <laughs> made a really bad deal, and he should know X, Y, Z. This is why he made the bad deal, and Quintus would want to know that, wouldn't he? I mean, that's yeah. really the way he thinks there's no social cues or under or understanding yeah yeah and really nothing has happened with matthew's character yet that truly endears him to the viewer but in retrospect to go watch it again it's fun because once he has become endeared to you and you you watch these early episodes with him uh, there's a certain charm about him. Really. There, there is, especially as time he becomes a disciple and time goes on, and he's wanting to learn, he's wanting to grow, he's wanting to be part of the group, and and he's obsessively taking notes. We'll talk about that <laughs> in a future episode, and I could so resonate with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, can, I think you took a page or two of notes for these pod, for this podcast, the right? Eleven, <laughs> yeah. For for the, for three episodes, so uh, this is the this is the professor uh, professor amongst us. But uh, but I, I do want to um, uh, where is it here? 
Oh, Brandon Potter is the guy that plays Quintus. Okay. And uh, Paris Patel, who plays Matthew. Both just absolutely brilliant and, and wonderful choices. They, they brought this scene to, to life. I mean, they really, they really made it very well done, of course, under, the, under great direction. But yeah, and so, but Quintus... You know he's 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 different. What I love about his character, he's full on Roman. He's, you know, he he's all of that. He's got that the the bad side of him, but he's got a, a bit more of a playful side to him. He's evil. He's anti-Semitic. He's all of these things, but he's got a playful, curious side to him, and it really seems like that it kind of comes out. Matthew, what I mean, Matthew amuses him. Yeah. Right. It's almost like a circus show to him. And he's like, you know what? Don't kill this guy. I'm having fun. Let's see what he has to say. Yeah, totally agree. So I don't know if there's anything else on, on this scene you want to talk about, but it was one of the more enjoyable scenes. And Matthew does say, yeah, I do think I made, you made a bad deal. Simon is, he, and he tells him why. Simon is untrustworthy. I don't think you can trust this guy. And the scene ends off uh, with, with I, I love the, I love Quintus's smile. He's just got the best kind of conniving evil smile. And he's like, you know what? I think I may have a special assignment for you. And then. And then that's how it ends. Right, right. So then it uh, the scene opens on Nicodemus, and he is summoned to the Sanhedrin. And they want to ask him about the miraculous healing of the woman in the Red District. And it, even further, they want to notify Jerusalem. Dum, dum, dum. That this miracle has happened as a result of Nicodemus's exorcism efforts. And we know that he failed, right? I mean, he even admitted as much to his disciples um, after he leaves Mary in that first episode. So here we are. He's been summoned and he's flabbergasted when they say to him, this is concerning the miracle, the healing of the woman in, uh, in, the, in the red quarter. And so then the scene flashes again and we get a view of Simon and Andrew on the shore and they're spying on the merchant ships the day before Shabbat. And they're they're talking about this whole plan Simon has to to be a traitor to the to the merchant fishermen. Yeah, and Simon is in there. He's buying drinks for everybody. He's happy. He's you know he's he's kind of uh, he's feeling a bit like a big shot. And Andrew is just sitting at the table. Just I mean I think he's still just taking in yeah. what has happened, what is going on. Of course, this is his brother, and he's he's not wanting to turn his brother in. But at the same time, also, Andrew is benefiting from this as well. And so it, it, there's this interesting thing, I feel like, going on with Andrew. Because on one level, he's not happy about it. But on another level, he's not doing all he could to stop it. So there's this kind of interesting tension there. And then there's a short scene with Nicodemus and his wife. Uh, do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, we, we can. And I will say that that's the tavern meeting. Uh, when the tavern scene, we're introduced to James and John. Okay, the brothers yeah right, it's right, a very right. it's very short it's just a short intro we don't see them throughout the rest of the episode but it's worth noting that we get uh, introduced to them very good yes but yeah so yeah we can talk about I, i'm not recalling i think the scene between the two of them that comes right after that but if there's something 
There's not really a lot to say. Nicodemus and his wife are in their uh, their guest quarters where they're staying in town, and she's getting all decked out in her finery. Oh, yes. This is when she's, like, sprinkling the gold dust in her hair so that she sparkles, and well, um, you just really get a feel for the dynamic of their marriage and how much she relishes her status. Yes, and I think that's where you really get the first idea of or you see, in a, in a bigger way, Nicodemus is kind of discontent yes. with what Shabbat has become in the upper echelons of society that he rolls in. He's getting a little weary of the trappings of it. Yes. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And and we see that as they go to their Shabbat dinner, we're going to see that, uh, you know, later in the episode, we're going to see that more than more and more. But, yeah, it's... And, and again, that's what I love about her character. Her character is so important because... Her character really displays and helps bring to life what uh, Zohara brings to life. What's wrong about you know uh, what could be wrong about Shabbat and you know and Nicodemus is is helping us to understand all of this stuff isn't what it is about. It's never what all it was what it was all about. It was about God and it was about what God did and how God blesses His people through it. So yeah, and then he we, and it, let me just interject oh, go ahead. here in in this particular scene. We even see, we even see him, Nicodemus, get a little sarcastic with his wife, um, saying something right. to the effect of, uh, "Far be it from me to tell the people about God." Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Because he, and that's one example of what you're saying that he's he's discontent with what this is morphed into. Right, right. Yeah, he kind of comes out pretty clearly, actually, pretty clearly comes up, and you know. Uh, forgive me for, you know, interjecting God into our Shabbat dinner, yeah, you know, right, is essentially right. what he's saying there. And it's like, wow, you know, that's pretty telling. And we really should say at this point that we've, um, we're hitting on the crux issue of the episode. That's why it's called Shabbat, because we're going to see this fantastic juxtaposition of this high Shabbat dinner with these important people headed by these Pharisees, right? And we're going to see it in contrast with the next Shabbat scene. Yes, yes, which, uh, which is, is really interesting. Now, before we get there, is, uh, do we want to find out? Because Nicodemus, he is, he's told about this, that the exorcism was successful. He was summoned. He's brought before uh, a group of Pharisees, and they're like, the exorcism was successful. And they're like, Jerusalem, we want to send word to Jerusalem. And Nicodemus is shocked, for one. But then, two, he says, actually, hold off. I want to look into this myself. Yeah, he wants to verify. Yeah, he wants happened. to verify what has happened. And so he actually goes and he searches for Mary. And we get the, the first look at Nicodemus and Mary post-exorcism yes. in, the, in this new life. Uh, so I don't know if you want to maybe say a few things on that yet, if there's anything you want to discuss before we jump into that. As the scene opens, Mary is in the marketplace, and she's buying candles so that she can host for the very first time a Shabbat meal at her home. And Nicodemus sees her in the marketplace, and he approaches her, um, and he calls he calls her uh, Lilith or Lily, because that's the only name that anyone knew her by before. Um, and she corrects him on her name. She goes, I do not go by that name any longer. 
and he jumps to the point. He says, I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. You are healed. That much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. And her response to him is, that makes two of us. And he goes on uh, to pepper her with these questions. How long after my visit did you feel a change? And she says, it wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. And he's stunned. Someone else? And she says, he called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. And Nicodemus says, and it was so. And she nods. And he says, who did this? And she says, I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. His time for men to know has not yet come. And then we have the famous scene where Mary says, I don't understand it myself, but here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him the rest of my life. That is, that's powerful. And of course, Nicodemus is just blown away by this. And of course, one of the third, first thoughts in Nicodemus's head has got to be, man, I've, I've got to meet I got to meet this guy, you know, which we have, we eventually get to see the meet in episode, episode seven, but it's powerful. And, and what it is, is what, what Mary is and how, why she, her, her character is so critical in this show. And because what this show is telling the world is that Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you, right? I mean, if it's for Mary, this uh, demon possessed woman from the red quarter, she was from the dregs of society. The dregs, the lowest of the yeah. low. Jesus is for you. And and that that's the beauty and power of, of the gospel. It's for rich and poor, young and old, and ev everything in, in between. And Mary is the is the beautiful representation of that. Her character is just it's absolutely phenomenal and it and it makes sense. I think why they they focus so much on her at the beginning, because they're setting the stage. It's like, look, if Mary can be redeemed, I can be redeemed. Right, right, right. Anybody can be redeemed. And the unspoken proclamation here is you are not the sum of your life experiences in the eyes of God. Mm. And yeah. that is so beautifully communicated in those words where Mary says, he said, I am his, I am redeemed. So our identity is in Christ. It is not the sum of our past mistakes and the sum of our past circumstances. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he, Jesus comes along and he, he heals her, he redeems her, and gives her back her humanity. He does. And not only does he do that, but... As we see in the episode, as it continues, we see that Mary is actually hosting a Shabbat dinner in her home, right? I mean, that that's pretty amazing. And it's so, it's so sweet. It shows her preparing, right? <laughs> right. And, and the camera zooms in at one point. She's putting this 
single humble little flower in a cup on the table. That's all she has to bring beauty to the, to her table spread. And it's so just endearing and wonderful. And she's taking great pains to do the best she can with what she has. And she's, she's being so meticulous because she's doing it for the Lord right? right. She's not doing it to put on a show like the Pharisees were in the Shabbat meal that we saw just a few minutes ago in the episode. She's doing this for the love of the Lord and in great thanksgiving for, for her healing, her redemption. And she's setting this, this table as best as she can. You can tell she's nervous. And she has her little, little notes that she's going to read from over the meal. And then along comes a knock at the door, and she opens it to her first guests. And pretty quickly, you figure out the people attending Mary's dinner are not the upper echelon of society. These are the social outcasts that are coming to her meal. Um, And one guy, he's like this jovial little guy, comes in, and uh, he makes a joke about how... This is the first time he's ever been actually invited to a, a Shabbat dinner, so it, it gives you right, right, it gives you an idea of who she's gives you an uh, yeah an idea of who she's hanging out with to yeah to her. And then there's a blind woman who is absolutely precious. And oh, has, she's hilarious. Has a dry sense of humor, and then a knock comes at the door, and there are these. Well, oh, okay. Go yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, a knock yeah. comes, and there are these two young men standing there and it turns out to be James and Thaddeus and what I'm gathering from the scene is that they're sort of passing through town and they're just looking for somewhere to have Shabbat dinner and someone tells them oh there's there's going to be one going on over in that little compartment or whatever and so they knock on the door and essentially ask if they can come in and eat Shabbat dinner with her and she's very gracious and she invites them in and they have they're sort of traditionally dressed Jewish men and she becomes self-conscious about whether or not she's getting everything right. Yes. And so she's she's like please tell me if I've done anything wrong, correct me. I want to know. Um, and she points out that there's an extra place setting that's supposed to represent where Elijah sits at the Shabbat meal of every Jewish family, right? Right. Right. That's the idea. That's the tradition. You set a place. No one actually sits there. That's Elijah's place at the table. Well, but, but the thing is that's only supposed to happen because she does that. It's, you know, quote wrong, right? It's only supposed to happen once a year during Passover. It's not every week in Shabbat. So she, you know, accidentally sets out a seat for Elijah, but she already set it out. And so they say, oh, well, they just leave it there. They just yeah, leave yeah. the seat like, open. Okay. And yeah, okay. So she she kind of, la- she's yeah. a little embarrassed and she kind of laughs it off. And they're like, and they're very kind and gracious to her. And um, it's a very sweet moment. And then. There's a knock at the door, right? There's another knock at the door. Do you want to tell what happens or should I? 
You know what? You took much better notes than I did. <laughs> you worked much harder on these podcasts than I did. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you and I just I, I your face is ra- you guys can't see Dr. Travis's face here, but her face is radiating in excitement right now. So I I would love to hear you tell the story. Knock at the door, they open the door, and it's another boom Jesus moment. He's standing there. Um and uh so he wants to come in and join the meal and guess what there's already a place set at the table for him to sit so it's providential it's deeply symbolic in terms of jesus coming and taking the place of the revered old testament prophet right like jesus is now sitting at the table breaking bread with you and he reveals his name. They ask him his name. And uh, he says, Jesus of Nazareth. And Barnaby, this sort of comic relief social outcast character, says, apparently something good can come from yeah. Nazareth. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? He's I know, it's just a socially <laughs> awkward moment, but it's hilarious. He's like, it's okay. It's okay. So Mary, she was already feeling nervous and self-conscious about hosting her first Shabbat dinner. But now the man who healed her is sitting at her table. Uh, the last thing she expected to happen. And so um, she asks him if he wants to preside over the meal. And I guess recite the liturgy and do all the, the traditional ritualistic parts. And it's so... I mean, my heart almost exploded in this moment when he looks at her and he tells her that he wants her to do it. Yeah. He sits down and he looks at her and wants her to preside over the Shabbat meal in her house. And this is another scene that I alluded to before where we see Jesus honoring and elevating a woman um, in his ministry. Right. Um, and so uh, one of those creative license things that we see all throughout the series that is there to beautifully reinforce a truth, even if it's not a literal event of history. Right. And that's really not supposed to happen from what I understand. Like I've actually led two Shabbat dinners because uh, my my father-in-law, who I unfortunately I never met him, he, he died a a month, the month before I met my wife, uh, but he, he was Jewish, and so they they would actually do Passover every year. He was a believer on some level as well, but it, I guess there's some there's not totally sure about some stuff. And so uh, because the the man of the house had died, I'd led as a twenty year old kid, you know, twenty twenty mm-hmm. year old kid led Passover, and uh, and that's really what is supposed to happen. It's supposed to be. Uh, the male that leads the Passover dinner. And so it is, a fa- it probably was quite a bit of creative license. I don't know if that's what would have happened in, in real life, but I think it's indicative of how Jesus did come to, I mean, really to elevate women beyond this, the status that they had. I, I believe there's a something, I, I heard that there's something that uh, Jewish uh, men or Jewish rabbis would repeat every morning. Every morning they wake up, they say, thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Yep. yep. <laughs> they would say that like every day. 
I'm like, okay, uh, Houston, we got a problem here a little bit. And, you know, and that's the culture that Jesus came into. And it's like, wait a minute, really? I mean, if you look at it, again, going back to the original creation, like in the Garden of Eden, that's not how things uh, began. That's not how things started off. And so I, I agree, it really is just a great, uh, a great representation of that. So then that ends, after that, then it begins and it goes to, it flashes to other people celebrating Shabbat, right? We, we then see... Uh, I don't know if there's another scene after that, but we do see Nicodemus and Zahara at their Shabbat dinner. And uh, there's there is one other scene, and this is pretty heartrending. It Matthew has a covered dish, and he steps out into the street, and you immediately get the impression that he's taking a covered dish of food to attend a Shabbat meal. And he walks through the streets, and it, it's sort of under the cover of darkness, and he has to tell his little pet dog to stay, and he says, I'll bring you the leftovers if there are any, and so he knows he can't have a dog at Shabbat dinner, an unclean animal, right? So he walks through the streets, and he approaches a door, and there's a window, and he looks through it, and there's this Jewish family sitting down to a Shabbat meal, and there are young women in the room that look like they're about the right age to be his siblings. And I think the viewer is supposed to gather that this is his biological family, and they're sitting down to Shabbat, a Shabbat meal, and he desperately wants to participate. He wants to come in and eat yeah. with them, and he loses his nerve, and he turns around and walks away. It is gut-wrenching. And it's the first moment in the show, if you haven't seen, if it's not a rewatch, if this is your first time with this scene, you have your first moment of experiencing sympathy for the character. Yeah, you, you really do. And then you see him actually, because they then, you know, they, they show different people enjoying Shabbat dinner. And when they, they show like Peter and Andrew and uh, Peter's wife, and then they show, you know, Nicodemus, they show Mary's house, they sh and they show Matthew. They show Matthew alone in an alleyway just eating dinner by himself. And you really, and that even, of course, is, provides so much more sympathy to the character realizing that this is a guy that is in a, in a life that is viewed as traitorous by his people, but he still feels a longing to be part of those people as we had mentioned in a previous show, he very well could have become a tax collector because of desiring that that sense of belonging, that he still has it. We all have because mankind was not created. It is not good for man to be alone, and we were not created to be alone, and we were created to be a part of community. And that's what Matthew is experiencing along with everybody uh, along with everybody else. So Yeah, yeah. And I really don't have anything else to add to my commentary on this episode. I would like to uh, just express one last thought about Jesus attending the Shabbat meal at Mary's home. Uh, it, it struck me anew when I did the rewatch of that episode yesterday that this was a fine example of the fact that even when we are feeling profoundly inadequate in our service to the Lord. And as I said, Mary's taking great pains to do this 
beautiful Shabbat meal to glorify the Lord and out of her gratitude for being healed. But she feels nervous and self-conscious and inadequate because she's never done it before. She knows she's going to make mistakes. Yet Jesus shows up at that table, not the table of the Pharisee, to sit down. And he has her conduct at the liturgy over the meal. And I thought, wow, even when we are feeling most insecure and inadequate, our heartfelt efforts give the Lord great pleasure. And in yes. that scene, you see Jesus's face. He's just, he's so proud of her. Like he's just looking at her with this adoration that you imagine a father giving a daughter. And it's wonderful. Another one of those scenes that just wrecked me. <laughs> well, it makes me think of that, that scripture, that famous scripture when Samuel is going one by one through the sons of Jesse find out who the anointed king is and David's oldest brother is the first one that comes up and he's tall and he's handsome and he's all this and Samuel's like surely this guy is the king <laughs> you know and and God's like uh-uh man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart and what you saw there in that scene is you saw the heart of someone that was fully given over and as much as she was able to be with the knowledge that she had, fully given over to the Lord, so grateful to the Lord, doing trying her best, that's what that's what Christ saw. You know, and the, the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple, and the Pharisee starts talking about how great he is, and the tax collector won't even lift his eyes to heaven. He's just beating his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me." Like that's what God that's what God is about. We we oftentimes think that we need to put on this big performance for God, and He's like. No, I mean, he, he, it's people whose heart, what is it, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro around the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart are completely his. That's what it was, and that's what he's pleased with. It's not, it's not in sacrifice and offerings, but a broken and contrite heart is also what the scripture says. So, she's just, so anyway, we love Mary, right? We, <laughs> we love we Mary. Love Mary. We, we love her. What, what a character. And I will say, as I did a few moments ago, <clears throat> This juxtaposition between the Pharisees' Shabbat and Mary's Shabbat is genius. Uh, it really is. Such uh, brilliant work on the part of the writers and yeah. director. And you see more of Nicodemus just like, because at this point, at that Shabbat dinner, Nicodemus, he not only realized that Mary was healed, he realized it wasn't him. <laughs> he realized it was somebody else. This this guy that I'm his. He called me his. He ex what he did. What I think happened with Nicodemus is that he experienced reality. Mm -hmm. He experienced kingdom reality, and that's not something you experience if your focus is on every just simply jot and tittle of the law. And even beyond, they they created laws even beyond Torah that they expected everybody to follow in this performance-driven status-driven world he experienced the real thing and he's wrecked you know yeah. he's he's done nicodemus is done he can never be the same yeah and he has to find out who this man is he does he, he's on a mission now <laughs> oh and gosh and that's what that's what makes episode seven just so absolutely beautiful well i know uh we probably need we need to wrap it up at this point i did promise on the previous episode 
to say something about the set of the chosen because I was extremely privileged. I got to do a commercial for this this Christian television station. I got to do a commercial for them and I and I was the dad in this biblical family and we got to do that commercial in um, at Capernaum Studios in Poolville, Texas, which is about 30 minutes northwest of Fort Worth. And Capernaum Studios is actually a place that anybody can visit. They do tours. They do, um, you know, different. It's not just, it's not just a place for the chosen. It's all kind. They do stuff during like Halloween and Christmas and all all this cool stuff. I'm not advertising for them or anything, but uh, just just giving you guys a bit of a context of the studio. So I got to I got I got to visit the set. And this is after already watching season one of The Chosen. This was in October of 2020. It was the first kind of acting commercial gig that I had gotten uh, kind of since the pandemic had started. And so I was, you know, I was like, I was enamored. I was like, oh my gosh, I get to go to the set of The Chosen. And, you know, we all had to get COVID tested beforehand going in. It was still very much masks and, and all this. It was, October 2020 was still a, was still a tough time. And but fortunately, hey, we're, things were, uh, especially here in Texas, things were opening up and stuff. So I got to go in. And one of the things that I was struck by as I went in is actually how small the set of The Chosen actually is. Interesting. It is much smaller than it looks. Now, it's not like there's just like one house or something like that. Well, you know, what you have is, you know, you go and you see Matthew's Tax Collector's booth. And there's a little bit of some buildings there. And then you see like a, a two-story a uh, two-story building, and it was actually, I not only played the dad in this biblical family, but I also uh, was one of the 12 disciples in this shot with Jesus, which was really cool. I got to be one of the 12 disciples in this Last Supper scene, which is kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird in a good way. You're like, man, that guy really looks like what Jesus, you know, we think Jesus looks like, and there's all these, it, it's just, it was just very fun. It was really, it was a neat, it was a neat experience. But the set is actually quite a bit smaller than what you would think. It's not this huge, sprawling biblical village. Uh, it's actually, um, they do it very, very well. And and it's amazing because you see all these different scenes all throughout that first season, and they, you, you're thinking, oh, they must be filming in a ton of different places. And really, I think they're just using different angles of different smaller spots within within the studio. So I would encourage, if people can visit it, it's, it's really neat to visit. I know they filmed season two, in Salt Lake City, um, and they actually had a, uh, they worked out a deal with the LDS ch- church that has um, uh, this, ama- they, a true, like, Jerusalem, right? I mean, it's it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's like, it is, it's enormous. There's like a temple there, and it's crazy. Um, so that might, that's an interesting thing that we might want to talk about as well on a future episode. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, just to let you guys, just to let you guys know, it's uh, they did, they did a very good job with the, with the space that they had and it, it was a lot of fun and it was a huge personal privilege to, to be able to visit there. So, all right. Well, any, any parting words on, on episode two before we sign off? No, I think that about does it. I'm very excited for our next episode in which we will discuss Jesus's time with the little children. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. If you guys have not started watching The Chosen, make sure you can do it. Just get The Chosen app or uh, go to The Chosen TV, uh, thechosen.tv, and you can watch the episodes there. It's all free, so definitely check that out. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Don't forget, you can email us, frc at cgmradio.com. 
and you can subscribe to the show. Go to cgmradio.com slash FRC. Find us there. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Once again, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.